Welcome to the 35th meeting of Junto Club. On this episode, C comes by to talk blockchain. We cover the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana white papers. To start the episode, we discuss a Benji quote about doing you, a college experience that leaves you prepped for isolation in San Quentin, and how listening to a hamster could have made you rich. For any questions, comments, or if you'd like to rant on something important to you, email juntoclubpodcast at gmail.com. This is Junto Club. Junto Club. All right. Uh, welcome to the 35th meeting of the Junto Club, uh, where we were inspired by the original Junto Club, founded by Benjamin Franklin around. 300 years ago to discuss my uh, topics including science sometimes religion and bitcoin and business and all the other stuff <laughs> that we don't understand very well so anyway so today's topic is uh basically is talking about uh crypto i sound the three fundamental and no i guess the two of the biggest ones bitcoin ethereum but instead of going just talking about the topic in general, we're actually going to try to go, go into the original source, which is on the white paper, like the Bitcoin white paper and the Ethereum white paper. So the reason, I mean, I want to do that because, first of all, I read those papers and I don't really understand it. So I want three people that you met, C and also Mike, to, you know, since you guys have much better computer science, I think, uh, technical uh, knowledge than me. So that way, so I want you to explain it to me, basically. So anyway, and then also, I feel like a lot of people and I talk about, like, quit, a lot of smart people, like, people that I work with, like, um, very, very smart people. They always, when they talk about Bitcoin, oh, they always, like, make fun of Bitcoin and also criticize it, right? So I feel like, I think, but I don't think they, the people that criticize this Bitcoin, like, on this blockchain i don't think they really read the bitcoin original bitcoin paper right so i feel like i think once we i think you can only criticize an idea after you maybe you know read the original idea first so i think that's anyway so i want you guys to read the paper so now you can have the right to make fun of it so man all right so anyway so before we get into that of course we're going to start with a always start with a quote from Benjamin Franklin, right? So today's quote is, quote, to all apparent beauties blind, each blemish strikes an envious mind, end quote. Any uh, thoughts? I think this is somewhat a somewhat clear one. So, I mean, basically, uh, so I guess if you're confident in yourself and sort of confident in what you're doing, you're not going to necessarily be uh, like con like very actively looking at other people's faults. Whereas if you're sort of very, I guess if you're envious of what other people have, and not very confident in yourself, you'll be picking out every little blemish of other people. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. My first, I was wondering if the blemish was about 
blemishes on themselves. You know, they they notice a blemish, and then they get envious of other people who they feel like don't have that. But it could go either way. Yours makes sense. What is the first part to all apparent beauties blind? Is it the beauties that are blinding? I feel. Mm, what, what do you think, Mike? Well, I, I, I'm thinking that the, like beauties are, like are blind to like so to all apparent beauties blind. So the beauties are blind to the blemishes. What do you mean? The, you mean like beauty? Like other people when they see beauty, they are blind by the beauty, or do you mean the beauty are themselves are blind? All apparent beauties <clears throat> blind. So. I mean, apparent beauties is a weird phrase, but the obvious beauties, right? Or yeah, or beauties that are or people who are beautiful to others. Yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess if they're obviously beautiful, to all apparent beauties, blind. To me, I mean, it means I I feel like uh like I guess to all beauties, to all right, to everybody, like apparent beauty is blind. So that means you are blind. Like some, you know, love is blind. Like sometimes if you are, like beauty is blind too. Like you are just like seeing this beauty, you put it in a pedestal, right? You don't see their blind spots. Maybe you don't see their like flaws and stuff, right? To all, to everybody, like apparent beauty is blind. So you don't see their flaws. But when, however, to an envious mind. Each flaw in the beauty, each each flaw, each flaw would like strike the envious mind. I guess or for someone who's very jealous, each each you will, they, they will see they like, will very the they will see flaws very easily. Right? I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's what uh, second part means to me. Right. Well, that okay. That's sort of what, yeah where I was. That yes. Mm. So beauties like I guess pure beauty like. You're not going to see it. You're not going to see the flaws. But if you're envious, you're going to pick at every little flaw. Or like if you're insecure, you're going to pick at every little flaw. Oh. So you you are kind of saying, you know, if you are beautiful, <laughs> you be like, you you see everybody, every, everybody's good. When you are a jealous per- person, you see every flaws and you, right? Right. That's, I mean, that's my thinking. Yes. Is yes. If you're be- like, I guess beauty in this case could serve as just like a, like catch all for like, have confidence in oneself or have like mm. a drive in a certain direction or whatever. I mean, there's lots of quotes about like, I don't know. Like if you're, I, I've, I mean, I don't even remember one, so I don't know why I started that sentence, but like basically the idea being that yes if you have like a good like direction in your life you're not worried about like the noise outside of your you like your own little world so, so. hmm i see you kind of see it as, as an internal thing anyway what about you see any more thoughts uh i read it as like apparent beauties as in like not inherent beauties Mm. so these are people or objects that other people find beautiful mm-hmm. and to all refers to everyone else mm-hmm. and so like apparent beauties are blinding to all yeah 
Yeah, I agree with that too. Um, but then、That's、I guess、fine. it doesn't make sense about the envious mind. Then, like, obviously, the second part, not, it doesn't blind everyone.、Hmm. Um, Any insight from you, Mike, Matt? I mean,、mm, I, I have to agree with Mike's interpretation. I mean, I was thinking something a little different, but it makes a lot of sense. Oh, you thinking a little bit different? I forget what my original thought was <laughs> now <laughs> when I read it, but you were you were so, blinded by Mike's interpretation. That's right, because he was apparently very beautiful. <laughs> I, I think he's yeah. I think it's it's talking about apparent beauties as people who maybe consider themselves beautiful, but. Or would like to consider themselves beautiful, but are like insecure about it,、mm. and、uh, you know. So then,、uh, then they have an envious mind that notices blemishes in others easily. I don't know, maybe. Okay, okay, all right, all right. We, I don't think we fully、We've、understand what、it. Benjamin Franklin tried to say here. <laughs> Many have, interpretations. Yeah, we have an idea. <laughs> okay. But I do like the second part. Each blemish strikes an envious mind. I I think I I, I like the second part anyway. So yeah. Be All right. What? Be be confident in you and don't seek out flaw in others. It's something like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I think then that's a pretty good、uh, that's a pretty good uh, uh interpretation on its own. Anyway, it's a good uh philosophy anyway on its own. Cool. All right. All right. So, have you guys heard about the win- windowless dorms designed by Charlie Munger for a、uh, university of uh, U- UC? Uh, I think it's I forgot Barbara or something. Anyway, one of the univers- University of California. <laughs> Only because you posted a link about it. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> But I I was just surprised because I kind I kind of thought windows were required for like housing. Like, exactly. I would have thought、yeah. that would have been in like the laws or building codes or something.、Mm-hmm. Exactly.、Yeah. That's why. That's why. That's a people outcry, right? This is like prison or something. Right? <laughs> anyway, Charlie Munger. You know, I'm a big fan of Charlie Munger, and that's why I I, I found it surprising. Also, I, interesting too. So anyway, I so what are your guys' thoughts? Yeah. Did they just want to build like a super dense dorm, and we're like needing walls for windows is like too you know inefficient? <laughs> like why? Well, I, I, isn't it a fire hazard? Like not having windows. <laughs> like I mean, like a single exit. What, what do you mean fire hazard? You, even if you have a window in a ten story, you can't really jump on a window anyway. Well, yeah, yeah. But you can have a fire escape. Okay, <laughs> New York City is like the only place that does like window fire escapes that much. Like, what hotels anywhere let you or dorms have let you have a fire escape? None of mine. Not, I mean, you just need stairs, right?、Uh. Yeah, nowadays you have the stairs and the concrete, you know, fire safe, you know, yeah, tunnel things. Anyway, so so basically, this Charlie Munger, what he likes, basically he's saying that you know students don't really, because the the problem is that right now you have a like you right now in the dorm is set up that you have two people in the same dorm, right? In the dorm room, basically, right, share the same room, like two beds, and then you maybe share a bathroom with another adjacent, the the door next to you, right. 
And then the strategy right now, he designed it such that you can actually have individually, you have your own room and own bathroom, right? You don't need to share with anybody else. And also, that means in the dorm, right? He, the dorm is going to be on the upper, the lower level going to be dorms and the highest level, which is going to be in the penthouse level, right? Used to be like maybe rich people, you know, usually live in penthouse. So basically the idea is that using a penthouse as a, a community area has all the windows you can work. You can work, eat, you know, stuff, uh, hang out there. So instead of in your dorm room, basically. So dorm room is only for sleep. So that was his design such that, you know, better use our space, right? So he actually, this, uh, actually he, there's already one existing. He's building one in University of California right now. And there's another one actually, University of Michigan. He actually donated a few hundred million dollars too. Actually, he's already built, right? So it seems to be working out fine, so... <laughs> So anyway, I, just... would, I would say I've lived in several dorms and they all had individual rooms and they all yeah. had windows, even if you're sharing like a bathroom and stuff. Yeah. So you don't, you don't need that for individual rooms, but I will agree that for a lot of people, you don't really do much in your room besides sleep and college. <clears throat> yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people go study at libraries and classrooms and other stuff and go hang out yeah. with friends at other places. So that idea is not bad. Although you know, building this, I assume he could start constructing this before COVID, which makes it uh, somewhat unfortunate timing because there's probably a lot more people sitting in their yeah. rooms than normal. <laughs> yeah. But but for this time, he's going to put virtual windows in there, like a screen and I have a virtual <laughs> sunlight. Oh, a TV? Like <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I was reading an article uh, about someone in University of Michigan that was in one of his windowless dorms and how depressed they were having to be confined in the room during COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and then, then, that's what Charlie Munger, uh, he regrets. He said, oh, I did not put window, like virtual windows in the, in the University of Michigan dorms. But yeah. Maybe if the windows have like a UV lamp built into them. So when it's like fake day, you actually yeah. get some- a lot of people use that. I I think in the University of Michigan, that's what they did. Actually, they put stuff like that in there. Literally. And Matt's however, garden. yeah, go ahead, Mike. I was just gonna say it's literally Matt's garden. <laughs> Matt's what did garden. you built in the basement? Oh, <laughs> why? Well, I, I guess sort of. I didn't put any lights there. So, oh but yeah. yeah. Well, I just mean like fake plants with bugs that were LED lights. <laughs> that's right that's right the you want to explain you, you want to explain a little bit what you did right Matt? Uh, for yeah this is for my phd work on like it was sort of simulating a precision agricultural setup but what it was was these little pvc pipe rings that had leds on multiple sides to represent like weeds and pests and stuff so a robot could drive around between them looking at them you know but obviously Doing stuff for real, you know, would be much harder. But you can make an LED glow because it's plugged into a laptop somewhere. That's easy. Hmm. It wasn't very realistic. I don't think it would help college students feel better. So how 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 does it does it affect your circadian rhythm? Not yeah, having I think. sunlight would affect your circadian rhythm. Without sunlight? Yeah. yeah. Oh, but you go when you go to sleep, you don't want sunlight, right? So yeah. Well, I assume they'd probably allow you to. I mean, if they were doing it fake, I'm sure they would allow people to control it, right? Be able to like turn it on and off, adjust the yeah. settings. But you could probably also just default it to like actual daytime. Yeah. Anyway, I'd be curious though, like I mean, I honestly, I'd be curious about because they're 
I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it definitely is going to affect your circadian rhythm. And I also wonder if, like, I don't, I like, I've been in a room where it was, like, windowless and, like, pitch black at night. And it did, it, it, it was, I don't know. It didn't help me sleep. Like, I honestly, like. Oh, did it? Yeah. Like, Actually, I did not like it at all. It was sort of, like, it sort of feels, like, almost, like, suffocating. But When there's no light? Like, when it's absolutely pitch black. That's that's kind of interesting because uh, actually the light is the the one that's gonna distract you from sleep. So to get into this sleep, actually, a lot of people are saying that you sh- don't want any light at all. You want it to be pitch black. Yeah. And we actually, I experienced it personally because uh, uh, some hotel I stay in, there's a, they, when when one a hotel room has very heavy like uh like, like the black curtains yeah, that yeah. make it pitch black. Actually, I sleep a lot longer. And I sleep a lot better. I feel like. Yeah, no, I mean, I guess it's, uh, I, I agree with you that I feel like I sleep better in hotels with windows and blackout curtains, but I guess it's more just like a box. Like if it's just like literally like four walls, <clears throat> I don't know. More of a psychological effect, right? Yeah, I think there's more of a psychological effect there, definitely. So, all right, all right. I was Stay tuned for us. I was going to suggest he upgrades to those just like Japanese pod hotel style rooms where like, why give people a whole room when they could just have like a bunk, you know, in a wall that they just slide a into coffin? to sleep? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a coffin. <laughs> just go all the way and then make even more communal space <laughs> with those savings. But um, anyway, people yeah. like Mike wouldn't enjoy that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, even more controversial. Anyway, so when maybe Ash, maybe tra- you can go to sleep in a normal room, and then they like once you're asleep, they put you in the pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people just casually taking sleeping students and putting them in coffins. Nothing weird about that. Yeah. Anyway, so and as you know, Charlie Munger is 97. So when asked now if you if he's gonna he's planning to like you know work out more of these projects and stuff like that, like try to expand the idea, spread the idea a little bit more, right? Windowless dorms. He, his, he replied, his answer is like, I'm, I'm ready to die soon. So I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> so anyway, I like his answer. <laughs> it is weird for a 90 year old to be pushing like a new type of dorm room. Yeah. And I mean, he's, but... yeah, he's very active. He's read a lot of books and he, he donate his money, right? So if you want to, if you want this, few hundred million dollars to build a dorm, you got to follow my design, so. Oh, so he's not an architect? He's not, he's not an architect. Oh. You, you, you don't know who is Charlie Munger, see? No. Oh, he's no uh, investment partner of Warren Buffett. So if you know have Warren uh, Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger. Yeah. And Charlie Munger is, uh, to me, he's a like, modern day Benjamin Franklin. He always have these wise, like very uh, weak, like, very quick Wait, saying stuff like that. So anyway, I really enjoy whatever he says. <laughs> also, apparently, an architect on the project quit because he wouldn't listen to what they were saying. Maybe for something. Maybe they were saying they need windows or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the actual architect just like left the project. Yeah. <laughs> maybe they were like, "We need more than one toilet per six people." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. 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 So. Um, should we talk about Omicron a little bit quickly? Because I don't really, because I know Matt, you are really into biology, so like, you probably Am understand I? it a lot better than me. So, can you explain Am a little I? bit? 
Yeah. That's news to me. Uh, well, I think it's just relative to you. I know some about biology, but you somehow managed to miss like all biology classes in your lifetime. Yeah. As far as I, it's just another variant of COVID, right? What I think it's so, just too early for us to know anything about it, right? Yeah, I think that's mainly it. I saw something that suggested vaccines were still reasonably effective against it, but there's also like, there's also concern that like some of the mutations do help it avoid, uh, should, are supposed to help it, like when they looked at the mutations, they're like, oh, that should help it avoid some of the immune system. But apparently some data suggested vac- vaccinated people are okay. It's too early to know, yeah. So when yeah when some the when I see the news they talking about spike proteins like something something different but anyway what does what are spike proteins? So COVID the virus has like uh you know it has like the RNA inside of it and it has like a shell and then there's these spike proteins kind of sticking out of the shell. Oh yeah. Um, oh, and that's and what they, they are. No, this sticky thing. Yeah, and those are what like attached to your cell walls uh, uh-huh. in the right way with like connectors receptors on your cell walls and this is where anyone who's done actual biology is like this guy's saying it all wrong but basically the spike proteins like lock into your cell walls and then that lets the virus get inside your cell and dump its rna Mm. um, to kill the cell and have the cell make more viruses so when you i believe the way the antibodies work is essentially they find those specific proteins that the virus has and then they like like lock on and block them and attack the virus to make it worthless Mm. um so if they change, then the antibodies you had won't work won't necessarily work for them anymore, or might be less effective. Uh, so you know, as this changes, the immunity you have might not help anymore. And that's mm. my understanding, and I am not a biologist. But <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, sounds good. But did you do you know why they call it Omicron? Then I think they. Did you hear like Twitter on Twitter? I see like people pointed pointing out. Looks like they skip uh, something. They so after Delta is supposed to be C, right? X Y X I, and then they just skip over C, go straight to Omicron variant. Yeah. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I did. I did hear about that because that's you know they didn't want the political implement implications of that name so they're just like we'll skip one greek alphabet letter oh president xi jinping yeah <laughs> i think the greek the greek alphabet's like spelled the same with like just xi oh, yeah so they're like oh <laughs> of course i mean it's just one letter of the greek alphabet it's it makes <laughs> sense to not like commit to doing that and potentially cause controversy and just be like it's just easier just to pass over it yeah, yeah. Funny yeah. coincidence, though. <laughs> that actually definitely is, a yeah. coincidence. <laughs> anyway, right. but I we'll agree see. with Matt's summary. But I I've allegedly Omnichrome, uh, like has like has like five times the mutations on the spike protein compared to like Delta. So that's why people are flipping out about it because there's a lot more changes on that. Like, you know what the uh, antibodies bind to. So. Mm. So, okay, hold on. Is it Omnichrome and not Omnicron? I've only been Omnicron. reading it. I haven't I don't know. heard I don't anyone know. say it. I think, yeah, I think it's Omnicron. I don't know. Omnicron sounds cool anyway. <laughs> okay. All right. But well, you... And, you know, in like yeah? three weeks when we do another podcast, we'll probably have some more information about if it's actually dangerous or not. 
Yeah, because gotcha, gotcha. I'm debating about when to get my booster. Like, uh, if, if I should, like, where I had COVID pretty recently, I'm wondering if I should, like, if they're, like, wait for an updated or if I should. Because presumably I got Delta, like, presumably. Like, when uh, I got it, it was the dominant variant, so. Gotcha. But we'll see. Mm. Okay. All right, so is it finally time to shit on Bitcoin? Yes. Not yet, not yet. Two, one, one more. Oh, so speaking yet. of okay, o- okay. Omicron, as a cryptocurrency, actually called Omicron, it was named like really way before the, the crypto like the, the variant started. So Don't tell me its price spikes. Exactly. The- oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. All right. All right. And before we go to another related uh, sad news about uh, crypto is, have you heard about Mr. Gox, uh, G-O-X-X? No. No. No? Other than the link you just posted. Did you read the link? I read the headline of the link. Okay. Did you, can you summarize the headline? It's a mouse that apparently had a good financial history with cryptocurrency <laughs> yeah it's a hamster right oh hamster whatever it's a it's a basically uh <laughs> so the news is that mr cox uh mr cox he recently died he actually was very good uh, it's a project that, uh so basically it's a trading crypto trading trading uh hamster basically what what they did is that they put a hamster into a wheel and a wheel, when a wheel spins right it will end it in a cryptocurrency Right, and then they decide which current current cryptocurrency to trade on, and then there's a two tunnels. After the after the wheel, and the, the hamster will go into a tunnel left or right, and then it, each tunnel represents like buy or sell, right? <laughs> so basically, uh, the human will execute the trade. And actually, for the past like six months or so, <laughs> uh, hamster actually have been beating the market like by twenty like uh twenty percent or something. Anyway, so he's a very good crypto hamster <laughs> trading hamster so anyway so anyway so you, you actually gain a lot of following on the on the social media so a lot of people are follow following like uh uh anyway mr gux but okay yeah. so if it's actually gaining a neat like a social following could this be like a self-fulfilling prophecy thing hamster buys some crypto people are like oh shit the hamster bought this crypto i should buy this crypto you know, a few thousand people do that, the price bumps up because a few thousand people bought it and that starts generating more interest around it. Hamster wins money. Good point. It's possible. Wow. Pump and dump. <laughs> Pump and dump, but, but using a furry hamster yeah. to hide it. Anyway, and we and we then the creator of the the owner of the, the hamster, they came out with a project basically to illustrate you know, how how much knowledge you don't really need to know, like just how random this market is, right? Like, have you heard the study, like, uh, about the chimps, like, throwing darts on a ball? Darts, yeah. I was going to say, this is like the new age version of the monkey that threw darts. (laughs) Yeah. Can you explain that a little bit? Study? They had a monkey throw darts to determine what stocks to buy and sell, and it did well. (laughs) It was the same thing, right? They trained it to throw darts based on whether it hit on a board, they made trades. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So basically, just yeah, illustrating how I guess uh, sometimes you see these a lot of investment advice from a lot of like traders. You know, it's like they're just monkey throwing darts, basically. <laughs> they're worse than monkeys throwing darts. Oh yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so 
cool. And let's get into the uh, Bitcoin paper. Then. Any thoughts? You guys read it? Any thoughts? All right. Here's my thought. If I was going to try to summarize Bitcoin, the technology, without going into extreme detail, it's basically, it lets you, it basically lets you decentralized, it lets you verify like trades or contracts in a decentralized way in a sort of a majority agreement where if mm. the majority agrees that something happened, it happened, except instead of the majority just being like a vote, which can easily be gained, the majority is based on computation power, which is difficult because it's expensive to get. So it's difficult for any individual to cheat the system. And then, so, but, you know, so you have this decentralized majority vote system that's hard to beat. And it just does what a bank does, essentially verifies trades and things like that, exchange of money or currency. Hmm. Is that a good high level summary you think, Shu? I think so. Yeah. Because honestly, the more I've read about it, the more the technical details mean a little bit less to me. Like, mm. I, I, it's like I don't really care that much about how it uses a hash to do the underlying things. I just, I'm concerned, I guess, about like, you know, what is it actually doing and what, you know, the advantages and disadvantages of it. I assume the technology works. I like, I trust that it does because it obviously works, right? There's enough money in Bitcoin that if someone could break it, they would have probably like, mm. you know, so it seems to be secure. The underlying ideas work. That's my opinion. What's an idea? That the underlying ideas of using like the consensus-based approach to like securely and decentralized, you know, verify transactions. Hmm. Yeah. Basically, decentralized. You mean like network of computers, right? Verifying the. That's right. Yeah. Because it does it does what your bank does when you put a credit. What I would say is it does what your bank does when you give your credit card to like a store, right? Like it verifies the transaction. And allows it to add the number to one place and subtract that number from another. Right. But instead of having a centralized, like, you know, the traditional centralized banking system do it, it's a decentralized approach, you know, work, working on, you know, that works via a bunch of people's computers running this algorithm. Mm. High All level. Right. All right. Let's well, see. Well, what do you think about a paper after you read it? Uh... Yeah, I think I'm the same opinion. Like the underlying uh, mechanism seems to work. And I think that's fine. But, you know, if we're, if we're going to talk about like the future of crypto, like I don't, I don't think that really depends on the underlying mechanism. Why not? Because um, it's more about trust, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether like how how liquid, how usable, how uh, convenient, how quick can you make a transaction hmm. um, so without what, relying on a central authority? Yeah, what do you mean by trust? Like people need to trust Bitcoin. Is that what you're saying? Like, well, like you know, currency is basically uh, a form of trust, right? You trust that someone else will take it. You trust that you can exchange it for something of value. Hmm. Okay. What about you, Mike? I mean, I think basically, I, I, I mean, it was, it went over the details that I had heard a couple of times before, like with how it works. Um, I guess, I guess with Bitcoin in particular, like there, I guess has been some argument about 
like the environmental impact of like Bitcoin mining and like obviously the underlying mechanisms like do come into play with how much energy is being used. And actually that is sort of like, in a way like that is what Bitcoin depends on is, is it's like too energy inefficient to break it. Like, or, you know, like you would need too much energy to break it. So, um, but I guess, the, so there, I guess the future of cryptocurrency like may change or may be determined by that just in the sense of like, there are some people who would argue that the energy like required to do this like verification process should be like, you should find a verification process that should be better in the sense of using less energy so that like the the computer scientists like the underlying details are useful for but yeah it doesn't necessarily change whether crypto is adopted or not Mm. relevant to what mike said i want to jump in slightly and say if if we looked at the solana paper you sent us Mm. so it's about a a new approach that uses proof of history yeah and they they mentioned it really speeds can speed up transactions a lot which is one of the flaws of bitcoin but does it but it also uses proof of work at the same time so the paper's like oh it uses the proof of history along with proof of work does it reduce how much proof of work is required like can it do the same number of transactions with a lot less energy usage that wasn't as clear to me did you yeah. read that shu and are you maybe more familiar with the the new proof of history I think, stuff i think solana i'm not sure if solana used proof of work i think they use something called proof of stake okay and maybe so, they... pr- so proof of work is called mining you need to mine that's why you need to use your computer power to mine it right and proof of stake and proof of history combination of that is that proof of stake you don't mine anymore you basically have basically so-called like validator nodes right so so basically proof of stake is i like think you get a lot of this you store like uh like for example you buy these solana tokens i think and then you can stake it Right, so that means that instead of voting using your CPU power or computer power, you voting using how much you own of the currency. Right, if you own more, like more like Solana or these uh, tokens, you basically have more vote on the transaction and stuff like that. So I think mm-hmm. that's, um, yeah, that's I think that's the basic idea of proof of stake. But I could be wrong. But, yeah. Does that mean everyone who owns solano needs to also be running like a node connected to the internet to do this or you know no some people now actually i'm I'm actually looking to it so i might i might talk about it in the future i'm looking to how to become a valid now you can use became became a, like, a validator and stuff like that but that mm-hmm. might be hard so yeah some people like this night i think they have I'm, I'm not sure how many validators they have out there that basically yeah to validate that transaction they call it validators instead of like miners basically so okay so we don't have to go into that those details as much but basically because one i mean the the high cost for crypto whether you're using proof of work or the proof of storage it's like that alternative method is like it's a big negative right like it is a really big negative um of the approach and i mean if you can get rid of that then it becomes much more appealing i'm still not totally convinced about how important the sort of decentralized nature is in terms of benefits but like Mm -hmm. if you can get rid of one of the huge costs it becomes more like oh well why not if you want to rather than uh you know this is using more electricity than entire countries to do you know something of (laughs) you know yeah yeah anyway yeah i i I really don't want to spend too much time on like the energy debate of cryptocurrency i just want to say that 
there's some people, yeah, there's a lot of you know, drawback, but, you know, just imagine how much people spend energy, like electricity, to watching a TV show, right? Not Squid Games or Tech Lasso, you know, all this stuff. How much, how much time, how much energy you spend sitting there doing nothing, right? And then actually, uh, that's a, another side argument about cryptocurrency is actually, it actually might drive people to come out to, uh, to come out with cheaper electricity, like to motivate people actually to come out with the cheaper electricity, basically, right? Anyway, that's a like for example, volcano energy in you know in another country and stuff like that. Anyway, I'm not sure how realistic that is, but this that's another like another side of the debate. So mm. anyway, so back to the Bitcoin white paper is like, is it a good paper? Do you think it's a good paper after I yeah? Yes. I think it's a good paper. I mean, it literally changed the world. I don't see how you could say it's a bad paper. <laughs> but what, what, did you learn anything? Like, do you did anything change your view on Bitcoin after you read it, or no? Still staying the same. I mean, I don't know. I guess I got more. You know, you 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 hear like a little bit about like the blockchain and stuff, and it, you know, once you read it, you get a better idea. Not like a perfect, because this isn't my area of you know worker expertise but you get like a better idea which does make me i guess more comfortable with the underlying technology in the sense of like i mean i wasn't concerned that bitcoin could be like tricked at some point but it makes mm-hmm. you more comfortable after you read it like okay yeah this seems like it should be secure that because the ideas make sense along with you know it working in the real world mm-hmm. but like it doesn't it doesn't really change my fundamental opinion of bitcoin just because i think most people are confident that Bitcoin is secure in the sense that you can verify trades of Bitcoin and money and whatnot. I think okay. when people talk about uncertainty with Bitcoin, it's mostly about the price, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the price of a Bitcoin fluctuates drastically over time, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes based on one person's tweet. So, but okay. no one's, you know, I haven't really seen anyone be concerned their Bitcoins will get like stolen from them or something like that. So I think most people are like the technology's solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah. there are the horror stories of people who like lose their, you know, <laughs> like lose their Bitcoin wallet or whatever and, you know, have lost a yeah, hundred million dollars. But... <laughs> yeah. But it's different between, uh, so Bitcoin has never been hacked, right? So, but uh, where you store in a wallet, like where you store Bitcoin, yeah, that can be hacked, right? You would, like, if you don't worry about, now like, if you don't, you're not uh, good with your password and all these stuff, security stuff, yeah, you're going to be hacked, right? So, yeah, that stuff happens, but I've never, I've never seen it blamed on them, right? Like, yeah, you right. can lose your Bitcoin wallet, but I mean, you can also drop cash and, you know, lose on the street and lose it, right? <laughs> like, if you just lose something, like, that's kind of just on you. Right yeah. now, I mean, I guess there's more opportunity potential, or I, I guess fraud is the wrong word, but more opportunities for just theft, and you know, and then yeah, like the paper doesn't address like the issues we've talked about before, which is like, you know, like why is this better than the centralized version, and mm-hmm. or why is this more useful than like centralized versions, and uh, yeah. And at the fluctuating price, so yeah, the issue is like no one, no individual is interfacing with the Bitcoin network via the mining system, right? Like if you have Bitcoin, it's in a wallet with some central authority, mm-hmm. and then any transactions you make converting to and out of Bitcoin is going to be with that authority. Mm-hmm. So 
I'm, I'm really not sure. It's basically taking it out of the government's hands and into a bunch of private banks. Essentially. Well, and I, yeah, and then the big exchanges, right? But I mean, if you you can still store your Bitcoin in your in your own wallet, right? In your hardware wallet, right? Okay, but how do you then make trades with it? You know, to make trade, then you need to go through these exchanges, right? Right. Depends on so what it's you still want. gatekeeped by. Depends what you want to use it for, right? You can store it just in, on your hard drive, right? You can. Yeah, I but mean, say just... I want to buy a Tesla with it. How do I do that? Well, then you need to convince Tesla to accept it directly, right? So you, no, no, no. Say, say like there, there's already like dealerships that will sell you a used Tesla or something, mm-hmm. right? For for a Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So how do you get that? Say you don't have like one Bitcoin, you have like multiple Bitcoins in your wallet. How do you transfer that through the network? to the the seller without going through a central authority it's not you just need it, to add it's, it's not a central authority but like one of these like miners right like these are the nodes that sort of like right right some some authority so i would say it's to be fair to shoe i think it's more decentralized than the traditional banking system but i also agree with you that it's not like it's not truly decentralized in the sense that there are still people but i guess the difference is in theory, anyone can try to become a new node that appends to the ledger and, you know, handles these transactions. So these people right. kind of hop in and out so they can gatekeep, but they're not like, there's not just one of them or, you know, a set number. It's yeah, more yeah. decentralized. I, get, I think you'd agree, right? Even if it's yeah, not truly yeah. fully just decentralized. Well, I mean, the blockchain itself is fully decentralized but when you when you want to using it yeah so for ordinary people and when you want to use it you know you might have to go through some of these like third parties right to uh, like coinbase or some kind of like uh these these third parties to do it right but however you know blockchain these third parties sometimes some of these third parties actually are being a little bit, little by little, and they became decentralized as well because they are uh, actually controlled by a, you know, decentralized, like, they could become a DAO, basically, right? The decentralized autonomous organization that actually can be controlled by the community. But anyway, that's a, I think, uh, I think we can go to that in the future. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, and then that's fair. And then that's fair to say all the people still need to go to a, a like, third party right now to use Bitcoin. But anyway, um, Going back to the anything else? I forgot what we were what were we before we were talking about the decentralization decentralization. Do you have any questions about how Bitcoin works? Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, so to me, I guess I, before I want to get there, to me, I think the the core idea of the pro, core idea or core problem that these Bitcoin at the beginning try to solve is like how to get multiple like how to get computer computers that don't trust each other to agree on something right to arrive on a consensus like, okay this is the transaction right so that's right. fundamentally what is the problem trying to solve an idea yeah i think it. yeah i think the way it solves it is by slowing the computer down such that um to process a transaction to verify a transaction it's comparable to some fraction of the propagation time uh, through the network. 
What do you mean slow it down? Why slow it down? Right. So the the whole idea is that by the time that you can make you can uh, verify a transaction, um, then it would have uh, like that that verification you you prop you broadcast it to the network, mm-hmm. and by the time you can make another one, um, like it would have distributed to uh, like half the network. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's the ratio that they're they're trying to get to is that um, if someone were to receive um, a new packet and then start to generate a fake packet, they won't be able to before someone else can. So there's guess, something about guess, like they can't catch up. Yeah. So this kind of related to the proof of work, right? So I guess my one of my question is that what is proof of work and how does it work? It's a hash that takes a long time to do. What's a hash? It's a pseudo random hash. What's a hash? Yeah, pseudo random. But what what does hash mean? Like you see, hash means hash means you're you're doing a series of computations. Like you add something, you multiply by something. You left shift, you right shift. You throw away some bits, you multiply it by itself, shifted, uh, and then you get a, like a hard to predict value. And the only way you can verify this value is by doing the actual computation. Okay, but what does what's a hash? Now, what's a hash? Like you heard, now it's something called hash function. Right? But what's what does that? The whole idea. What's an idea, hash, what, what, what's an idea behind hash? The though? whole idea? idea of a hash function is you take, uh, you know, one set of numbers and you transform it to another set of numbers. Okay. Right? But the the property of this transformation is that a sequential series of inputs will translate into like basically random numbers mm-hmm. so that you can't do like plus one on the input and it's plus one on the output mm. so there's some interesting properties like there's a uh, hard to collide collision resistance so like if you do like one two three four input they're not going to be the same number uh, on the other end and usually it's like um, many to few but I don't know what the actual uh, transformation is for for this. Um, but usually they say like 64-bit, 256-bit hash, right? That means the output is 256 bits. And the input could be whatever. It could be like 1,000 bits. But it's just going to go, it's going to be broken down into um, this 256-bit output and it's going to look random to you. There's no way for you to uh, take the output and derive the input, hmm. right? Because there's missing information. Okay, that's still quite complicated to me. So, Matt, can you uh, dumb it down for me? Just the hash. Yeah, and the hash function was an idea behind it. Well, you can, you can think of like a. I mean, it's kind of like a rant. You, you've used a random number generator in programming, right? Yeah, so you and you can seed it, right? Like, and you give it a different seed, and it pops something out that's different. Oh, just uh, yeah, just press a button, you generate a random number for me. Hash is kind of like that, except rather than continuing to generate multiple, it's just a one-time thing. You put in one seed, and it generates a random thing on the output based on that seed, but specific. So if you do the seed, you'll always get the same output. But as he said, it's essentially random. Like you can't, you cannot 
guess based on the output, what the seed was. That's what it really is, tries to make impossible is to go backwards. Like What's... we can give you a very simple example, like divide by four is a hash function, right? You give it 16, you get four. You give it 17, you still get four, mm. right? So there's no way to get the input if if the output is four. But right. what's the, yeah, uh, yeah, so you give, you input something to the hash function, you generate something and output a number. But what's the, what's the whole idea behind why do we need hash function? What's the, I guess, what's the, what's the purpose of, of it, right? What's, why do we need hash function to do stuff? That's what I uh, well, was getting at earlier. Security, right? You, oh, you okay. hash a password mm -hmm. so that you, you can store the password. But you don't know what the actual password is. Okay. Right. So one one use is um, you store the password, and then when a user wants to authenticate, they have to add, they have to put in the actual password, which gets hashed to some random value. Mm. Right. And the only way to generate that random value is with the password. Mm. So you're saying that when I enter a password into Gmail or something. Google doesn't really store my password. They store the hash value of my password. Right. And then they store that hash. And then when I, every time I enter my password, you actually, what Google sees is the hash, right? Right. So if someone steals the list of hashed passwords, they can't use that to log back into your account unless they, they brute force, right? They just take every Fire. single combination of every letter and number and symbol, and then they just guess. Uh, and they, they do the computation, the hash computation on all of those guesses. And then eventually they'll get to the right one. And then they can use that guess to enter your password, to enter your account. So how is hash in using a proof of work and Bitcoin? How is that related? It just, it takes a long time. That's the whole idea is that it, you're not just generating a hash, you're generating a hash that has to be less than a certain value, right? And because you don't, you don't know what the value of the output of the hash is before, ahead of time, you're just throwing in random inputs until you get an output that matches. Mm. So the way I understand it, and you have like the ledger, right? Like you have the, the ledger you want to append to the blockchain. And this yep. includes some information or the hash of the last block, but it's mostly your new block. And then you're looking for a hash that takes all that info and turns it into a number with a certain amount of zeros in front. And as you know, C said, this is somewhat random. How do you figure out that the output of this hash function will have this mean number of zeros? You can't. You try billions of random inputs until you get lucky. And this is right. The proof you're, of work. It's it's you're you're taking that block and a little bit of random number, and then you hash it, and then you change that random number over and over again, and you you're hashing the number and the block together mm -hmm. until you get uh, a hash that passes the the passing function, and then you publish the block and that random number so that anyone else can verify. So they only have to run the hash function once, but you have to run it a billion times to find the right random number. Uh, okay. So that is programmed into the blockchain, right? Yeah. And for me, for example, if I'm the computer that is running a node that is doing that, 
Okay. So, so how, I guess, so why is it taking, you say it has to be a specific number. So you say, I think in the paper, it says it has to be like certain number of zeros. Yeah. So, okay. Say you have a 32 bit hash output, right? Mm -hmm. But the first three zero, three digits or the, the most significant three digits has to be zero. So that's the same thing as it has to be less than, you know, two to the 29. So like 512 billion or something like that. 512 with six zeros behind it. You, okay. you know that offhand? That's kind of crazy. <laughs> this is my work, right? So this. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, and that's why we need to see on. Right. So so you're you're generating an output. You can't predict this output. So you don't know if it can be bigger or smaller until you you do so you're taking that little bit of random number um it's called nonce or something i don't yeah don't nonce yeah yeah um and then you you're taking some input right which is the nonce plus the block mm. and then you're you're forcing this into the hash function and the hash function chops it up rearranges it shifts it around multiply it ors it whatever and then and it does this like hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of times and then you get one number mm. right and so they they can tweak uh the hash function so that it takes maybe a second um to to generate a hash or however long it is i don't i don't know what it is it's like sha256 yeah so um, can but, i can i say like prove how work is basically going to casino and playing What's the thing that we were playing? Yanking the slot machine. Slot machine. Can I say that? Basically, that's what it is. You just keep yanking it until you get a uh, all three, and then you get all the coins, right? Is that? Can no. I say that's what proof of work is? You just keep doing the work, and then with some randomness to it. Right, but but there there is yes, but you can prove that you did pull um, yeah. the slot, and and other people can pull it the same way and get the jackpot. Yeah. So whichever gets first, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but when you do this enough, the that sort of probability, you know, smooths out, right? So it's not like miners are hoping they get lucky one day. I don't think. I think it's like you know they're running yeah. a trillion calculations every day, so you know they get an average amount somewhat consistently over time. Yeah. Exactly. I see. I see. So so let let me recap. So I. If I'm the computer no run doing the uh, mining, so I see a transaction coming, someone spending a Bitcoin or something, right? Transaction. I basically want to add this transaction to the blockchain, right? So I take this uh, new transaction, and I there's a nonce, which is a number that input I can play with, right? I, I basically change the a, a, a nonce, the, the, a number every single time, and then try, I try to see if I generate a correct. Uh, uh, hash value, right? The output. If the output is matches to whatever the blockchain is uh, determined previously, I get a reward saying, okay, I have done the work. I verify this is a good transaction and then I can append it to the uh, blockchain, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. But that makes me wonder, right? Like if, yeah. if you have all these nodes on the network that are trying to do this, mm. are they all trying to get their transaction through? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think I th- I think so. So I think what happens is if you don't win, like your block doesn't win, then you have to, and a new block gets accepted, you have to just restart your block onto the old block. Right. So if, um, if you're just some guy with one machine, you're never going to be able to put any transaction into the network. Probably not yourself, no. Or you're going to be waiting to get lucky for a while, <laughs> which is why people, you know, have these buildings with, you know, 100 NVIDIA GPUs all running. Right. Know? So you have to give your Bitcoin or whatever to them somehow. I don't and think it's you give can. the Bitcoin. I think it's that you give them the transaction information. And there's like the, I think they have something like a private public oh, key true. system to like verify that two people do it. But then mm-hmm. only that one block miner is like, oh yes, these keys match up, whatever the transaction right, right. is valid. And right. then they try so, to tell everyone that. Yeah. So what I don't really still don't understand is how, so if I, if I take this transaction how do i this transaction is the right transaction how do i how do they know that i did not just say okay send 10 bitcoins to me and i try to add that to the chain right so i just keep doing the hash function how do i i guess uh how do the blockchain know okay this is the the true uh transaction and not a fake transaction right are you saying like I hashes. guess? Well, are you saying like if I am trying to send myself ten bitcoins and I don't have ten bitcoins, yeah, like how does it know that? Yeah, if I want to add that transaction onto the blockchain, I guess I just want wondering how. I'm not sure. I don't understand how do they know that which transaction is the true transaction? What's That's what the, the ledger is for, right? Every account starts with zero bitcoins. Okay. So when you make an account, someone has to transfer you their Bitcoin. Okay. So then you have a history. Then you can't give yourself Bitcoins. It has to go, come from somewhere. The only way that Bitcoins are generated is when someone successfully mines a block. Okay. And, and at that point, what they're saying is, okay, I've verified that these transactions worked and I've added coins to myself. Right. Every time, every time these people are doing proof of work, they're, they have a set of transactions that they want to confirm and they can add a little bit of transaction, you know, 25 bitcoins to their own account. Hmm. 25 bitcoins, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I believe they also have a fee system built into Bitcoin too, right? Cause there's a finite number of bitcoins. Like it will only ever be so many bitcoins. In 25 the world. million, I think. And, uh, and I believe there's like a fee. And so if you want to get your transaction like faster, you can offer like a bigger fee of like, oh, I'll give you 0.01 Bitcoin to try to like make a block of my transaction first. And I think that's something I've heard. Like you actually have to, and as over time, that's going to become the dominant way miners make money is by taking fees from people to actually do the work. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's what uh, I think Ethereum is doing. They something called gas, which is fees basically. When that's how they reward the uh, the miners basically to the, get paying the gas fees. I'm not sure about Bitcoin has fees. Yeah, I think maybe it's Ethereum that has fees. Yeah. 
Well, I guess you could, like, in your transaction, you could say, like, "Oh, I'm gonna transfer the miner mm. some some Bitcoin fee," mm. and then the miner can preferentially choose the block that has that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm double checking, but yeah, Bitcoin miners can use fees to decide which transactions to confirm first. Um, you know, a sufficient fee makes it more likely you will be confirmed in a short time. Okay. So yeah. So yeah, Bitcoin use, and that's going to become over time. That will become the only way miners make money, right? Because running out of bitcoins to mine. Hmm. Okay. So, um. I guess, uh, what about, so another key question on this paper is something called Merkle tree, right? What was, what is that used in Bitcoin? Like what's, what's the point on the Merkle tree? Uh, I think that is just so you don't have to look at the whole tree. You can look at some subsections of it and know that, um, you know, once that's verified, then you know, the rest of the tree is verified. You mean like in the blockchain? Yeah. Mm. So how they store a transaction, how they store a ledger, they don't just store it in a sequential, I don't know, big spreadsheet, right? They store it in a struct data structure called Merkle tree, right? And that way you can, you don't need to, when you verify, you don't, you don't need to keep, you don't need to keep, you don't need you don't need to look at the whole ledger. You look at a smaller portion of the ledger, right? So, right. Right. Okay. So yeah, I think looking at the paper again, basically, all the the roots that you don't care about, you just like use the hash. Mm. Like you keep the hash, but not the whole root. So you sort of keep it the ledger partially hashed, and then part of the ledger you get the actual underlying data and that way you don't have to store as much. Right. Mm. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I think I, I when I was starting I uh starting for coding interviews, I think I came across like Merkle tree. I said, oh what the heck? <laughs> Bitcoin actually used Merkle tree to do it. <laughs> and it's uh and it's that uh, when I ran a paper, oh I heard of Merkle tree. I don't know what it does or how to how to program it, but you know, I heard of it. <laughs> Okay, so uh, last question. I think that that's. I think when you talk back in the day, people when they talk about blockchain, they always something called immutable. Like, what does immutable mean? Not changeable. Oh, in this way, in programming speak, in not changeable. Mm-hmm. Why? So okay, so blockchain is not changeable because you cannot change the history. Temper with it. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I guess uh, this. Okay. So, are you guys a believer in Bitcoin now after you read the paper? Not <laughs> anymore. Unless Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, I'm more like it's a speculative asset, but it's at least an asset. I still feel like NFTs are a giant scam, but Bitcoin <laughs> at least has shown value over time in a way that sort of makes sense. Hmm. I'm just, I'm still skeptical about it being a currency more than a asset. Yeah, it behaves pretty much like a volatile stock. Mm. That, that keeps going up. 
That keeps going up. Well, except for all the times it drops. Oh, well, if you average it, right? It's, you average it, <laughs> average it out, it's always keep going. Every time it drops, you always, you never really go to the lowest level anymore, right? You always like go up. The, the, the floor is always higher than the previous floor, right? That's true. That's true. I think it, it makes sense if you look at it from a systems perspective, like in all, it, it, you know, if you look at the whole world, like where all the cash is, where people have money, where most of the cash resides, um, where is that going? And a lot of it's going into stock and Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrencies Art. because, because there's, there's nowhere else for the money to go to. Mm. And like, Countries are printing money, and where is that going to? Stocks and probably cryptocurrencies. So mm-hmm. there's there's this pressure, there's influx of money, mm-hmm. and there's not enough places to Invest. not enough sinks to mm-hmm. to take that money in gotcha. uh, in a in a productive sense, in in a way that will give you a at least a perceived sense of return. Mm-hmm. Um, but stocks will do that. So you're saying that country during the pandemic, especially the U.S., have been printing all the money, right? And all this money, people don't really spend it. They just basically buy cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, during this time. Well, uh, there was an article about how um, like the U.S. prints some, like an increase of 30% in like the money supply last year. Wow. Um, so that's that's a lot of extra money, mm. right? And but the, and the thing is, like, it's not like they're just distributing it in terms of just the uh, stimulus checks. Like some of it, sure, but a lot of it is going into uh, like the major banks, right? They say, oh, we're we're gonna give you this loan, trillions of dollars or, or many hundreds of billions of dollars to each individual bank, and be like, we're gonna give you this loan for zero interest. Or mm-hmm. in like in Europe, it's like negative interest, like negative half a percent. So they're like paying these banks to take these loans, right? And the banks are like, well, okay, we're either getting free money or we're getting some money um, for, you know, we're getting some profit for this, this money. And so they want to take a safe bet. So are they going to loan it out to people who are in desperate need of money? who may not probably not going to be able to pay it back. Mm. No, they're going to, they're going to loan out to people who they know can make money. Mm. Right. So like large corporations, like Mike, uh, Mike, like Volkswagen, like Google, like Apple, whoever. Mm. Right. And what are these companies going to do? Well, people aren't really buying more stuff necessarily. They're not buying more cars. Mm. Uh, They're not buying more uh, whatever. So, they end up buying their own stock. Mm. Like Volkswagen bought like a billion dollars of their own stock, right? And that raises the price of stocks. Mm -hmm. And that's good for the people who are buying stocks, which is themselves. The people who own the stocks, yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. A crash is coming soon. That's the point. I would say part of that's not quite wrong or quite right, though, because people are buying more stuff and we've kind of had the supply crisis, right? And it's part continued disruptions. Oh yeah. The global pandemic, but it's also part that, you know, post COVID, a lot of people were spending less during COVID and then they got stimulus checks and stuff. And, you know, 
And sometimes even if people don't necessarily have more money because they had their own financial problems, they just kind of got sick of sitting home and like wanted to be like, go do things. So a lot of people are spending more, buying more uh, around the world, actually. And it's sort of, uh, you know, that's part of the supply crisis. It's just more people trying to buy stuff, right? Right. But it's not influencing inflation. It's not influencing the price of products. More demand? I like, mean, demand prices are determined by supply and demand. So if demand shoots up and supply hasn't been able to keep up, that does increase the price of stuff. Like a lot of people start doing home renovations and building homes, uh, you know, after COVID. And that's part of why wood prices shot up so high is because there was a big spike in how much people wanted wood. Right. Sure. Yeah. There's, there's definitely that, but it's, it's not connected to uh, the government printing money. It's partly though, right? Because some of it, I agree it's not all, but some of it was literally, you know, done via the stimulus, stimulus checks, checks. Right. Yeah. That, that helps. But that, that kind of, it, it's not. Uh, I guess like, I don't have a good idea, like what percentage is stimulus check versus other economic things, but right, spending is up. Right. But, but a lot of people were unemployed, so they weren't able to spend money. And so this stimulus kind of took that place. That's true. But we also had increased unemployment for a lot of those people who are unemployed too, right? Like much longer duration, more money paid out per week, right, right. stuff like that. Yeah, the, so there's the, a balance. The the economy was stagnating, and so they they needed to uh, do more of that because like people go out less, they drive less, so they spend less money in some areas and more money in other areas. Mm-hmm. All right, all right, guys. Uh, Is this you trying to wrap up because you need to go pack, Shu? <laughs> no, I just I'm saying that we want I want to bring it back to Bitcoin. So inflation. So. <laughs> Stay tuned for future episode on how what inflation is and how inflation works from C. All right. So. <laughs> well, this is one of the reasons Bitcoin is popular is it's supposed to be more inflation resistant, right? Got you. Yes, so. yes. But but I want to you know I want to talk about like Bitcoin itself. I don't want to talk about like what's the implications. You know, I want to talk about like technology behind underlying idea okay, okay. and then implementation. The hardcore stuff, not the, you know. Well, I think we touched on some of that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Mike, what do you think about Bitcoin after you read the paper? I don't, I, like, I guess with respect to underlying stuff, I guess it helped fill in the details that I had sort of heard before about proof of work and stuff like that. I mean, mm-hmm. the paper as a whole, I, like I say, I'm still not. I guess, as you put it, the fluff. I'm still not sold on Bitcoin's fluff. But... Mm. So you didn't buy you didn't buy more Bitcoin. No, I, I haven't bought more cryptocurrency lately. All right, so. all right. So are you guys going going to move to Miami though? Oh, for, oh, Miami for Miami coin, coin? isn't there's New York coin? Matt doesn't. No, need... yeah, but I'm gonna tell you Miami because actually Miami mayor, uh, he, he's gonna give out Bitcoin to his citizens. So basically, yeah, oh, he's gonna you know, he gonna get these Miami coins, right? Miami coins, what he earns like Bitcoin and these dividends, he can he can basically just give it out to uh, Miami people, right? So anyway, that's uh, that's what he's planning to do, actually. Wait, if he gives out the profits to the people, what happens when the price goes down and he loses money? Does he increase taxes? I don't know. <laughs> Because, I mean, Bitcoin goes both ways, right? Like, you get gains and losses. All right. 
anyway, yeah, I don't know. So we'll see how it goes. But anyway, so let's uh, for the remaining uh, thirty minutes, I want to talk about Ethereum. So, all right, what's your what's your guys think about Ethereum? Okay, so it's Ethereum's like Bitcoin, but in general, rather than just a coin, you can do transactions for like any sort of contract, I guess is the way they put it, right? Mm -hmm. And like, I think the most well-known example now is NFTs. So, you know, rather than claiming ownership of a Bitcoin, you claim ownership of an NFT, yeah? Mm -hmm. But this one seems way more centralized because like if I say this tweet is mine. I have to register with Ethereum or some network and say, Hey, give me an NFT. I own this. Yeah. But like someone else, even if that's my tweet, someone else could go to like a different network and mm-hmm. say, Oh, I own this and register with that network. Yeah. Which is, I guess it's like kind first of the, to register kind of thing. I don't know if it's just for like, if they validate it beyond first to register, these are some of the details, but that that's one question but the first one is like it, it feels very centralized in the sense that like you i don't know like it's basically There's only ethereum one network, gate, right ethereum gatekeeps what is and is not valid right mm. kind of in a way but like it's, yeah yeah well it's it's valid on its own network mhm yes it's like bitcoins are only valid on the bitcoin network yeah. right so then I guess you could just say that's fine. Ethereum's the big one, so everyone should use it. In the same way that you could invest in Bitcoin or invest in a different cryptocurrency. But it just makes the whole... I mean, in a, from the get-go, an NFT saying like you own something seems speculative. And then that just fact that you could just have another network someone else could just say they own it on makes it more speculative. This isn't really Ethereum in general. It's just NFTs, which is one of the big uses of it. Yeah, but... I mean, NFT is just a just an application, right? It doesn't, we are, we are focused on Ethereum. We want to, you know, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense to talk about NFT because it's very uh, popular right now. But Right, uh, so well, besides... Sometimes, well, I mean, you could have a scan application on, a, on Ethereum, right? It doesn't, anybody can use it to create application, but if even if an application is not, is a bad idea, it doesn't mean that, Ethereum fundamentally is a bad idea, right? So, do you think that Ethereum is a good idea? Like, is if the, the core idea is sound? I'm not sure, and this is why, because I need okay. to see. I guess I want to see uses of it that makes sense beyond. Okay, let's say cryptocurrency. Let's just say that makes sense in one way. Mm. But we have a lot of cryptocurrencies that don't need Ethereum. NFTs are another use. I think that's a scam. Is there another example of a way NFTs can be useful beyond making new cryptocurrencies? You mean Ethereum? Yeah. Can Ethereum be useful beyond making new cryptocurrencies? Uh, Yeah. I'm sure they would argue yes, right? mm -hmm. But like doing what? Something like Voting, I guess, one thing is about some one application is decentral uh, decentralized uh, autonomous organization, right? It basically is a small con- small contract, right? Where you can basically, like, people uh, like buy tokens in a like uh, if you if you create a, basically a kind of, I mean, DAO is kind of 
like a company, right? You basically buy tokens in a company and you can vote for it, right? So it decentralized just means like everybody own a token that can vote and uh, determine the future of the company and stuff like that. And then that's one of the applications, right? They talk about, mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. There's many others, but like, yeah. But yeah, I guess I, I want to go back to just Ethereum, a paper, an idea, right? So um, anyway, C, you want to go uh, talk about like what you think about the paper? Uh, I think it's it's interesting that they implemented a like a programming language inside Ethereum. Mm, yeah. Um, so like, Bitcoin is something that you can just do like add and subtract mm-hmm. on. Like that, those are the only operations you can do. But you can actually do more than that in Ethereum. And I'm not sure exactly how much more than that. Um, like, can it go and pull a website and get some data off of it and then like use that to decide or because like it it talks about like smart contracts how if a certain condition is true then you would like transfer money to one party and if it's not true then transfer money to another party and things about loops but like what else can it do what other information can it take in actually there's a Actually, supposedly there's a computer game that's completely on chain right now. So I think they use Ethereum to like, build a computer game. You actually can play mm-hmm. and interact with it. I'm not sure. I don't remember the game, but you probably can Google it and find it out. So that, I guess that's one application. I'm not sure how is it a good use of Ethereum. But anyway, that's one way of people were using it. Yeah, build a game about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I think you're, yeah, anyway, let's go to Mike. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I don't necessarily have, I guess, super strong opinions. I mean, I was just looking back at the paper and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I, I feel like a lot of this is, I guess I'm still waiting to see like what, just like a very sort of like what Matt said, just like a very definitive, like this has a good application that is like novel and different here. So, I mean, I, cause I mean, what I've seen with like, I mean, Ethereum. So you brought up a point that I've thought about a lot. I feel like with crypt, a big advantage or like the only big advantage I see with crypto and Ethereum is essentially making like transactions, like bringing like privacy into digital transaction. So like, I mean, voting is, is, you know, sort of like, I mean, yeah, we go and we have our physical voting booth set up, but I mean, like if you use like the blockchain for voting, that could allow for sort of just like private voting um, on digital devices. And like, I guess like, contractual things like where the parties are not like i mean bitcoin really became popularized on like like the dark web right i mean like that was so i mean i think yeah so i guess reading these papers it's like it fills in some of the technical details but like i guess you're still skeptical about an idea well is there something beyond privacy that these offer us Hmm. and because okay here privacy is not a small thing so that's yeah yeah (laughs) Okay, so the main thing is called this. Have you guys heard of Web 3.0? Like people, that's buzzword right now. Web 3.0. Yeah. 
heard of it, but I don't know what it is. So Web 1.0 is like before like <laughs> right? It's like beginning of internet. It's like everybody's like very in the beginning of internet. And Web 2.0 is like after like 2004, right? Where you can have like these big companies like social media and like uh, Facebook. Uh, basically, internet became like very centralized, right? Only these big companies like Google and the big tech company control the internet, basically, right? Like Twitter can deep platform you anytime they want, right? Like you know stuff like that. So it's the internet really con- really being centralized, like right now, right? This web 2.0 and the web 3.0 is the whole idea of blockchains enabling. So basically decentralized internet you basically people are taking back the power of the internet basically individually right instead of concentrating make make in, into like these five big companies you yeah, basically you are decentralizing it that's the whole point of three what 3.0 right that's the that's what everybody's talking about right now which is like in this moment like after 2020 2021 20, i guess so you're talking about like pure tube and those kind of sites so what pure tube it's like youtube but decentralized yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. yeah social network as well potentially you know stuff like that so these are what these blockchains potentially is able to uh, to do right so and going so back actually saying it would do a service like youtube or twitter but rather than relying on one company's servers yes it would just run on everyone who uses it their own computer and you know do the same thing Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, and you're also going to be governed by a community, right? Instead of like the the company make decision by what's the best for this YouTube, you know, you have these like users like going to own actually own the own the company basically. So imagine like Uber, right? Uber instead of like the Uber company control Uber, each driver when they drive, they have a token, they earn tokens, and they can have made decision on when the company is gonna gonna go right in the future, right? So basically, this is a very good idea. Basically, I think this is actually enable what Marxism was talking about before, right? <laughs> Instead of nice capital, right, in the uh, hand of that few, you basically have capital in terms of everybody. And I think the socialism and communism should actually embrace it, right? This this work gonna enable communism basically, right? So. <laughs> So I don't know why China actually banned Bitcoin, but anyway. So anyway, that's what what's you, if you believe anyway. So that's that's just ten, tangential point. But anyway, so that makes an interesting. Yeah, you know, one of the the things about that is who you know. I guess getting people to make something, even if it runs on other people's computers, right? Like your uh, peer tube, like the incentive to continue to develop and improve upon it, if it's not owned by you and you can't make profit off of it. Yeah. is not as strong. That's not saying there aren't people who do open source programming and just release stuff for free for usefulness, but you know, you're going to have to compete with companies that will be doing anything they can to make a better service for the potential of profit, right? Hmm. Well, it's good, good. But yeah, I mean, you can have yeah, so anyway, that's uh that's what what I like about these technologies that is it's also as you mentioned, it's all open source, right? Anybody can just look at the code and then how it does, you know, like change it. You know, you can uh, submit code changes, stuff like that, you know, to this. So it's not controlled by a specific company. And so then you going use your to... uh, Ethereum vote to determine if a PR request is pulled or not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> merchant. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so 
maybe in the future, imagine we should just maybe download a Bitcoin core and like code and see if we can just create another Junto coin or something. Anyway, <laughs> I might, we might do that in the future, see how it goes. But anyway, so um, going back to Ethereum, actually what I found Ethereum interesting is the founder, like who, the, 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 the person that came up with the Ethereum is called uh, Vitalik Buterin. Have you guys heard of him before? All right. So he's he created Ethereum when he was like maybe 19, 20. I mean, 20 on who was like 21 years old. So it's like he's a pretty young guy. So he is the reason that he created Bitcoin. I mean, Ethereum. So here's what he said. So here's a quote from an article somewhere. So Buterin has started stating that he was driven to create decentralized money because his World of Warcraft character was nerfed, especially by patch 3.1.0. He went to he went on to say that in his uh, bio, that I happily played World of Warcraft during 2007 to 2010, but one day Blizzard removed the damage component from my beloved Warlock's Siphon Life spell. I cried myself to sleep, and on that day, I realized. What horrors centralized services can bring, I soon decided to quit, end quote. That's amazing, actually. I'm now an onboard supporter of Ethereum. <laughs> I changed all my investments to stuff on it because that's the best origin story I've ever heard. <laughs> Blizzard so- nerfed my WoW character, so I went and created a technology that's now, you know, like changing the world. Wow. That's why you can make a game on it. now quick stupid question i did not really look into like what nerf means because i want i wanted to ask you guys what nerf means so what nerf yeah in nerf in gaming a nerf is when they make something weaker so it's the opposite of a buff the the analogy is like nerf guns like they don't hurt because they shoot like little nerf things they're like soft right so it's like making your it could be your attack, but it could be anything worse is yeah. a nerf. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. What's hilarious, though, is I feel like if this guy has ever spent any time on, like, a video game forum, if you allowed, like, the majority to vote on what things would be nerfed, it's probably going to be worse than letting the game developers do it most <laughs> of the time. I would love to see a game where the community is allowed. This is what I hope Ethereum does now. I hope they make a popular game that the community can vote on balance changes and watch just the shit show as the community <laughs> wildly like slams whatever the flavor of the month, like build or item or whatever is. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. That, that sounds like a great game concept, actually. It would be chaotic, but it might be fun just to like watch the shit show, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> anyway <clears throat> anyway that's uh that's that's just uh interesting i mean i i like the founder because uh he actually doesn't he he also writes a lot he actually published like blogs almost every week writing about like interesting very cool ideas like also some uh half of the stuff he's writing i don't really understand because it's so much very mathematics heavy right some of the concepts like one thing he talked about, I think I learned something, is something called quadratic voting. And that's very, another interesting idea about voting, stuff like that. I think, anyway, he, he talks a lot, he writes a lot more more than just like cryptocurrency, basically. He talked about 
society, you know, on his stuff like that. So he's been so young as well, and he tried to explain. I mean, he probably has so much money right now. I don't know why he's still writing and try to explain stuff to people. But so that's why, anyway. So, yeah. Maybe we should uh, change our podcast to be based on him instead of Benjamin Franklin. Maybe, maybe in the future. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's the after. Maybe Charlie Munger dies, and then he's gonna be the next, uh, the modern day Benjamin Franklin. I don't know. So, got still, I think I, I think Charlie Munger still got a few years to go. So, anyway, so going back to Ethereum, what I, if I want to make an analogy of what Ethereum is, it's like Bitcoin is like, for example, it's like a calculator, right? If you think about Bitcoin as a calculator, you can think of Ethereum as a computer, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Calculator, like Bitcoins can only do one thing, which is store and like, uh, keep track of like transactions. Whereas block, uh, Ethereum actually enables people like, to program, to build stuff on the, using the computer to build stuff, basically, right? Instead of just calculating stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one way out for me personally looking at um, and in Ethereum, so so yes. one thing about a lot of people are talking. So Ethereum basically is like it's like another thing you look at is like universal. It's a, if it's a computer, no, it's a universal computer, right? Because you have all these like all different like decent or network of computer basically doing computing stuff for you, right? So that's why it's kind of called universal computer. And the one thing he talked about is that he want to create Ethereum such such that is Turing complete. So my question for you guys is like what is what does that mean like to be a computer to be Turing complete? Uh so if something's Turing complete then it can like calculate anything that can be calculated. Hmm. So it's like it has the necessary operations to, you know, calculate okay. anything built in. It's usually discussed in terms of programming languages, like, is this language Turing complete? Hmm. Got you. But Mike was the actual computer science undergrad, so he should know this better. Yeah, Mike. Uh, I mean, that uh, that's basically it. But yeah, like, any any type of, like, basically the idea is uh, programming languages are all equivalent if they can do like if there's any problem that can be solved in one it needs to be able to be solved in the other even if it's like for example like python well i mean like python and c++ it's pretty easy to see like any problem that can be solved in one can be solved in the other because the same operations are present but there are some like pascal or like logic based programming languages where it's like they're really efficient at doing certain types of problems, but in theory, you could implement like a, you know, GUI in them as well. So, but it would just be a total nightmare. But, Fun mm. fact, Microsoft PowerPoint is Turing complete. What? PowerPoint? I'm not kidding. Have y'all never, you should look this up. Someone made a presentation where they <laughs> implemented like basically like a small computer in PowerPoint using like animations where you like click a link to like slide to a different part in memory and do like a different command. <laughs> and he demonstrated that PowerPoint's turning complete, which is one of the craziest things I've seen. All right. All right. Now it would be literally the worst way to ever do any language. But program no. <laughs> uh, anyway. So sounds good. Going back to Ethereum, I was, so is is Ethereum 
Turing complete as the as you know he claims to be claims it to be. That's what he claims. Yeah. Or I don't he, know. <laughs> he talk about in the paper, and I why is it Turing complete? <clears throat> the main thing he talked about is that it it can go back. Right, you can make loops out of it. Hmm. Okay. Without that, you you can't be Turing complete. Basically, you need to be able to jump backwards. Hmm. Okay. So in the paper, he didn't really show uh, that. Oh, it, how why it is like Turing complete. I mean, basically, if you if you can like add, subtract, and then if else, and then you can also jump back and form a loop, then it's Turing complete. Oh, okay, gotcha. So it's pretty easy to make it Turing complete, then. Yes. Uh, okay. All right. Cool. Any um, any final thoughts on Ethereum? So if, if Ethereum is Turing complete, could we summarize what it gives you by saying it's a way to do any sort of computation decentralized and have like a consensus, like a decentralized consensus that this computation was valid mm-hmm. or executed according to like the rules or contracts, right? Right. Say it again? So just, like, what Ethereum does is, is like, in the same way that Bitcoin lets you kind of decentralized confirm transactions take place, Ethereum lets you have a decentralized and validated consensus that some computation, general computation happened. Which, I mean, is very broad, right? You, that could hmm. obviously do a lot of things. But then comes the question of what is, I still think it comes down to what, like what is really useful to be able to do a computation it's and then like have a, a dis. Well, I was a decentralized gonna... consensus that like that was valid. So Can I say it again, Mike. Well, I was just gonna say like it's almost like a decentralized like cloud computing type service, or mm. but I it's not it's, like it's, it's more not like, like so. Bitcoin uh, allows you to bypass a central bank, hmm. right? And I think Ethereum allows you to bypass a judge. What do you mean by that? You don't you don't need judges and lawyers to argue your case and prove that you know you you follow the contract or someone didn't follow the contract. Uh, you can have Ethereum do that for you. Yeah, the smart smart contract they say right. Yeah, because hmm. uh, it's it's not cloud computing, right? Because it's explicitly different. Because it's not like other computers are working on the same computation you are, and you're combining your results. Other computers are just helping validate that your result. Yeah, it would be an extremely slow cloud computer <laughs> and expensive. Cl- it makes it more computation than rather than helping like divide up computation. Right. It, it's uh, just it's just so that you can trust that the computation you expected to happen did happen. Uh, so now a contract when something maybe insurance, for example, someone dies, and then you know the blockchain as automatically as once that event happens, we execute it, and then. And then the blockchain will say, okay, that's the true execution is the correct execution, not a false execution of the contract, right? And then the insurance company will pay out the money because, uh, you know, something, you don't need someone to say, okay, need the, the blockchain basically says, basically executes that contract automatically, right? So, you don't right. need some uh, third party, like a, a lawyer or something to 
to go to the lawyer to you know stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, some kind of contract. I'm not maybe that's a bad example. Just some kind of contract makes it executes automatically on the chain. Yeah. What my question that I I didn't find answer to would be like how. Does Ethereum know, say, like in your example, like when someone dies and execute the will? Mm. How does Ethereum know when someone dies? Mm. I think this I is know. similar to how does it decide that you are the one who owns the NFT that you register, right? Like, is it right, just but but if you if you own your first, if you own your like proof that you're alive, then how how do you tell Ethereum that you died? <laughs> Very good question. Maybe that's a bad application and for Ethereum. Well, I, I mean, you would have to trust someone thing. else to inform yeah. Ethereum for you. Well, I guess a way that's... to put this is Bitcoin only deals like in internal to Bitcoin, right? Like it just transmits the Bitcoins back and forth between accounts. But like Ethereum, if you're using these general contracts, it needs like connection to the outside information, right? Is that essentially the fundamental issue? I believe it would need outside information to like determine what what happens in these contracts right if they're really general right or maybe it would have to be in the form of the like an input to the ethereum network which would be just another transaction so in in the paper did you guys read anything about how did they implement that the blockchain such that they Make the contract. I guess how how did they program a small contract into the blockchain? That's right. just part might... of the thing that you execute. Like instead of adding and subtracting number, you can mm-hmm. upload your own program into it. And a lot of the paper is talking about, uh, you know, how do you defend against a malicious attack if someone just runs an infinite loop? Mm-hmm. Because gotcha. then, like, your whole network would be running infinite loops. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where the gas concept comes in, is that it will only execute so many steps of this program. And if it doesn't finish by the time you run out of gas, then you invalidate the transaction. Oh, so once what you are saying that so instead of adding and subtracting like Bitcoin, uh in that operation you can actually write a program into net Instead of doing add and subtract, you can actually write a program. Do more than adding and subtract. You can do more other stuff like a program, more complicated program. And then they they do that by you know by allow you to do like loops and for loops and stuff like that and like programming. And then that that actually can cause people to run an infinite loop. And then so they implement a gas fees to. From people, so every time you run execution uh, program, you actually cost some kind of money called gas. Yeah, every step of that program is going to cost some gas, mm. and that gas is decided by the sender. Mm. So gotcha. you you pay the fee up front, and if you finish early, you get the extra gas back. But if you fail to finish, you spend all your gas and you don't get it back. So you can, if you don't give enough of gas for your program to run you can lose the money basically because you're paying for the work and then, you know, not get anything out of it though, not have the transaction become valid. That's cool. I think that's good enough for today. But last question, how did you, how many guys you, how many times you went through the papers? Cause I ran through it 
few times and I still don't really quite get it. But anyway, so how many times you you went through it? Just once? Just once. I, oh, that wow. means I don't fully understand everything. But, right. you know. Oh, I feel how many like times Bit- am I going to read these papers? Yeah, well, no. I feel like Bitcoin, I was like, because we've talked about it in the past, I feel like I've read a decent amount about it. But mm. yeah, the Ethereum one, I guess I probably could go through a few more times. Hmm. Yeah, the Ethereum paper actually helped me understand Bitcoin because in the beginning of the paper, and they, he just basically explains what Bitcoin is, get actually more detail, right, than the Bitcoin paper. All right. So, yeah. So, cool. Oof. I think that's anything else for today. Do we have any idea what our next topic is? That's for you and. Mike and Matt to decide. <laughs> Each of us gonna come up with something else, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna to keep talking. I'm basically gonna go all in on crypto in the future, so I'll be basically bringing crypto topics. Are we gonna Maybe vote? Solana. Yeah, we, we did not talk about Solana, right? So next time we talk about. Solana. Are we gonna vote on the next topic using Ethereum? Oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> Junto uh, coins. Yeah. <laughs> every every time your topic's one of the main topics, you get another vote coin. So whoever's done the most gets the most yeah. voting power. I'll see. Do you have a topic that you want to talk about? You know, I think you're trying to create a virtual reality game. We can talk about re- virtual real- reality and stuff. I don't know. Uh, sure. Yeah. We, we can decide that later, I guess. Yeah. But is the virtual reality game on the blockchain? <laughs> it's going to be now. It's going to be now. It's right? going to be very. To be. It's going to run very slowly as you know, computers all around the world try to verify that your actions are valid. But yeah. you'll be able to play one frame per lifetime. <laughs> it'll it'll finally confirm when people are like playing Call of Duty, like, and they get shot, and they're like, "No fucking way! I shot him first. Now they'll have a definitive <laughs> answer. It's like twenty minutes later, it like comes in. <laughs> All right, it's good. It was a valid shot. Like, yeah, I guess yeah. it's fair. Yeah, but you know, for those mobile games that already lock you out for like two hours because they're trying to get you pay for currency, it could work for that. That sort of thing. You know, you do some stuff, you walk away, yeah. comes back. You know, mine, mine something while you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> Take Minecraft to the next level. Yes. All right, bad joke. All right. So she's got to go pack, right? Yeah, yeah. she's got to go pack. Go I pack have to you. go back to work. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, I have to go too, so. All right. So, yeah, so I'll have a topic next week. Sounds good. Stay tuned for that thrilling, uh, you know, hook for our listeners. There will be a topic <laughs> next week. I'm sure they're very excited. Maybe sports. I said I would do that eventually. <laughs> okay okay i can see that all right speaking so, of sports have you heard of something called crowd house is a basically is a dial da is a dial basically try to buy an nba team so anyway maybe we'll talk about it more next time all right okay is also, every topic did, gonna be connected to crypto for you from now on exactly also have you heard of the constitutional dial Recently, something happened. Are people trying to want to make a new constitution based on a DAO? No, they they try to buy the first a copy of the first like constitution, the U.S. Con- constitution. Oh, 
actually it was on sale. I, I think Sotheby was doing an auction, right? So this DAO, so a lot of people like donate a lot of money using Ethereum, basically. Actually, they donate a lot of money, like maybe around $40 million, actually, to this DAO, actually, to buy a copy of the Constitution. But actually, on a, on an auction, they failed because do you know who outbeat them? Charlie Munger. No, I think it's some guy actually from the main stock, the the, bad, the villain in the main stock, GameStop. I think the I forgot his guy, his name now. But anyway, he outbid. He basically is one of those uh, most hated guys on by the uh, main stock crowd, the GameStop crowd, because they. I think mm. they were. He was like one of the hedge fund guys, and then he basically mm. outbid this, <laughs> outbid these uh, crypto people. So right, did they get their money away. back or did the guy who collect all the donations was he like, oh, sorry, guys, and then just like peaced out with 40 Yeah, the, the, the DAO actually tried to refund people money. It's a, it's a pain in the ass. But anyway, but they, they're going to do it. Actually, they might not need to do it because the the token for this DAO is called people token, right? And after they failed the bid, the people token actually got spiked up in price. So maybe they don't even need to get refund now because they just need to hold it and then get it higher. Maybe they can sell it later. So wow. So and so actually, the people that I, I feel like that's pretty well deserved because these people actually want to buy the constitution. They didn't really. They just donate the money. They didn't actually expect to own a piece of the like constitution, but somehow anyway. So they, I think they got rewarded for anyway. So good, good. I I I really I think that's a perfect mean of. Uh, Mean token, I guess the people token. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So that's one application for these, uh, you know, decentralized like Ethereum applications, right? You get this community, actually, people come together to do, you know, do something that cannot be done individually. So, kind of feels, anyway. trust. it kind of feels like just gambling on literally anything, right? <laughs> like take anything make a coin for it and then just roll the dice and see if it you know makes money or not yeah you can it's another way of looking at it but so is life life is gambling too so <laughs> i guess in a sense <laughs> I think you're about a to take a plane flight that's yeah. a gamble yeah all right <laughs> all right I think that's a good point to end on. Life is a gamble. <laughs> Sounds Mike's good. Mike's got his title for this episode. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's it's not people. helpful at all to discuss what we were talking about. But. No, exactly. Yeah, people will listen to the first like hour and a half and be like, "I'm not seeing where this is coming from." <laughs> for those yeah. who stuck out to the end, find all better right. things to do with you. <laughs> all right, life's a gamble. Chill out, club.